For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. First off, Randy, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Jeff. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great, thank you. And Jake, how are you? Doing great, Jeff. We're just still basking in the post-4th of July glory. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We had quite a 4th of July uh, weekend last weekend, and I know that you guys are near uh, Battlefield or Battlefield Road, and as you said, Randy, it does feel like a battlefield out there, doesn't it? It absolutely does. In fact, you know, we did notice that I think the fireworks volume was down just a little bit this year, but I will say this, not at the Floyd household. We are... uh, (laughs) We tried to make up for everybody else. Yeah, we tried to make... Up, but we 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 feel patriotic, and so you know we we had a few bombs bursting in air, yeah. and we had a really really good time. We had a lot of the office staff over and their families, and oh, so that's great. it was really really a good time. But Battlefield is a battlefield. It's crazy. It's one of the only places yeah. around here that you can uh, legally set off fireworks in the city limits. You know, and so we just really every every year it's a three hundred and sixty degree love American style scene. <laughs> well, the bombs were bursting here. And- in air. I think I woke up about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. There were still a few bombs that had yet to go off. So happy time for America. Happy birthday, America. 246 years young and many more to come. Well, let's talk about the reality of what's going on today, guys. I read that the first half, actually, this is the second half of 2022. The first half behind us here with July beginning, but the first half of the year, probably the worst in the market in 52 years. And I'm going to ask you what your clients are asking you, guys. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> That's what they're asking. <laughs> so, you know, uh, as you know, Jeff, there's only a few people that can control the market. Yeah. And I know that you're one of those people. Yeah, of you course. Are- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, nobody can control what the market's doing. However, there are road signs along the way that tell us, you know, maybe what's coming and, and what to expect. And then, of course, we pull from all of our history and all the things we've seen in the past, and we try to uh, build a construct of some sort out of that. And, you know, generally speaking, there's really not any new news, but it's just how deep is the crevice we're going to go through and how tall is the peak of the mountain we're going to go up like we did, you know, after post-COVID and that sort of thing. So looking forward, though, what we're telling people is, you know, we are, if we're not already, we are going to have a recession. And I know that we've talked about this at length, but the recession is not the be all end all. It's not going to be or let's put it this way. If it is the be all end all, none of this matters anyway. Right, Jeff? Right. (laughs) <laughs> so, but but we know that we need to have a recession. We need to right the ship. It's going to be painful. You know, uh, the Fed is trying to kind of kill the speed of the economy a little bit, which will take corporate profits down, which will probably push the market down some more, which will also lead to a little bit of unemployment, which really would be 
believe it or not, a good thing because we've got to get to the other side of this where we can get back to what would be a more normalized growth and stability pattern on the other side of this. But make no mistake, there's great stuff on the other side. When you talk about the other side, last week, Jake, you had mentioned, or at least you had a prognostication that uh, it would be sometime next year. And I think you said maybe May through October, something like that. What gives you that hope that that is going to be the time frame that things turn around? So again, that's a little bit of a complicated question. I'll try to pare that down. But I do think March through October is likely when it will happen. A lot of that has to do with as far as the timing, a lot of that has to do with cyclicality in the market. So this time of year in the summer is usually a little bit slow because everybody's on vacation. So people are not trading their portfolios. So they have lower volume. So the market tends to move less in the summer. Then people get back and they look at their portfolio after it started to go down. They're like, oh my goodness, I'm losing money. I better sell and go to cash. So when they come back, September is historically the worst month, followed by October, which is a fairly not good month as well. And then we get to Christmas. People are spending money, the market goes back up. And then after Christmas, we're like, oh, all these problems are still here. And then you have an eventual bottom, March, April, May, something like that. In this particular case, part of the reason why I think that is because the market will bottom before the economy does. Right now, we haven't really seen major cracks in the economy yet. We know they're coming, but we have not really seen the evidence. And so I think part of the first evidence we're going to see is, like Randy said, next week we start to get corporate earnings and we're going to start to see these companies miss earnings. We're going to see negative earnings growth and things like that. And then about the following week, we have the first read on preliminary Q2 GDP which is the gross domestic product reading. If that number is negative, we're technically in a recession. I believe that number will be negative. We'll just have to see, you know, what kind of concoction the Fed and others counting can cook up to try to make it not negative. But again, I, I don't see how it's not negative. So as all this unfolds, I think it'll take to the middle of next year for us to find the bottom and have everybody reverse policy. And then we'll start to go the other way. Well, I'm always looking for silver linings to a dark cloud. So uh, considering that we're in such a down market at this point, if you do have some cash on the side, gentlemen, is this a good time to be looking at buying some things? I mean, buying low at this point while stocks are on sale? In our opinion, Jeff, we're, we're not there yet. We think that this thing can fall a fair amount further. So we do have quite a few clients that ask us that question all the time. And we're just telling them, well, let's let's hang on for a, a little bit longer because we'd like to get a better opportunity. So let's take Tesla stock, for example. I think there's a lot of people that would agree that Tesla is a pretty good company. They make the most American automobile on the planet, mm-hmm. meaning it's manufactured here more than any other car is. Right. You know, GM's not even in the top 10. It's made mostly in Mexico. Mm-hmm. That company topped out a little over $1,200 a share, but a couple of weeks ago, it was at $600, so it's 50% off its high. While that is a good buy, and I do think that Tesla will be much higher than that three or four years from now, I think we might get a chance to buy it at 400 Wow. And I would rather, I would rather be able to deploy capital where it's the most impactful. And so we think for the silver lining, Jeff, here's the silver lining, is for those who are careful over the next eight to 12 months, there will be a two to 400% rally on the other side of this. And it depends on how deep we go and how quickly we get there, but there will be a massive, massive rally on the other side of this. And then for those people that, that have money left to deploy, there will be lots of money to be made. 
Let's put this into perspective a little bit, gentlemen. I mean, we've been through recessions before. I can remember at least a couple of those. Of course, we've had many down markets. We bounced back from those down markets. Is this recession, if we're in a recession right now or, or the upcoming recession, how is this recession different or is it different at all from past recessions? No, it's really not any different than past recessions. That's one of the things, you know, that uh, we have to be careful of in this business is to sit back and look at it and say, well, you know, this time I think it's different. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a few basic things. The reason that it's not different is ultimately people are what make economies and everything work, right? Well, Jeff, we know that people haven't changed much since the beginning of time. <laughs> as right. far as how they feel and how they react <laughs> and what they do and how their emotions are. And that's not a bad thing, and I'm not judging anybody. All I'm saying is is people don't change that much. The other thing we need to realize is this, that economies are based on productivity of people. We've seen a decline in productivity of people. And, we, you know, I know this, and I say this sometimes, and people look at me funny. You know, it's the nature of man to regress, not progress, if we're not careful. Right. So anyway, the long and the short of this is that this time is not any different. It's just a different time. And yes, some of the dynamics and the size of it is quite different. It's the largest we've ever seen because there's just more money in the system and the system is just bigger than it's ever been. And, you know, if you think about it, the system must continue to grow and it will. But once in a while, we need to have a reset. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. So it will come back. And the reason is, is think about what the stock market really is. So the way business gets done in America and around the world is if I have a new, let's say I've got a new budding company that's really great. It's got some good profitability. It's it's a good business model. Everybody's taking advantage of it. And I want to go public. So what do I do? I go to an investment banker. They look at it and they say, well, yeah, that thing might have some legs to grow. They go out and they share that with some of their top key investors to see if they have any interest. If they do, then they do an IPO. That's an initial public offering. It goes out and people buy into that company. And then as the company grows and becomes profitable, all those shares are traded on the secondary market based on the value. In other words, if that company's doing good, the share price goes up. If that company's not doing good, the share price goes down. Then we have this issue that we had through COVID-19 where we shut the whole world down and we pumped a bunch of money into the system. And so we created this mess that we're in right now and the ship will right itself. But again, this time is no different than any other time when we have overspending and easy money policy, things get out of whack. We've just got to get the ship righted again. And honestly, I have to say, that, and, this, and there's going to be some people that are going to shake their head when I say this, I'm excited for the future because we've crested and we're going down the other side now, which means we're getting close to the next upside. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here, Floyd Financial Group right here in uh, Springfield. Do you have a lot of people calling up or coming in to visit you who are really worried about this market, who have been clients of yours? You know, our clients know how we have built their plan. And of course, we have to reiterate to them, you know, once in a while, because all they see on the news is how horrible it is and everybody is losing their backside. And when they come in, we have to sit down with them and reassure them and show them their numbers. And then they go, oh, well, that's not as bad as I thought is the general comment that we get out of here. And, you know, that again, it's all based on the fact that when we built their plan in the beginning, we built it knowing that there would be market ups, market downs, recessions, interest rate changes. We build it, you know, looking at all those different things and we build flexibility into the plan. We build stability 
and flexibility so that we can really weather all types of financial weather in their retirement plan. And so it just really works out good. And, and when people call in and they're concerned or when they come in and they're concerned, they generally leave here feeling much better than when they walked in. And your clients, of course, the Floyd Financial Group have deep financial roots. And it reminds me, after a big storm sometimes, you see some of these huge trees that are lying over on their sides. And you think, how could that happen in a storm? But then you take a look at the roots. They're really shallow roots. And I think the key to surviving a financial storm like this is to have deep enough financial roots. You're listening to Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. Speaking of financial roots, if you're wondering how deep your financial roots are, maybe you want to get in and sit down with Randy and Jake and go over maybe getting a financial plan for yourself for a financial review that will allow you to weather any financial storm. To do that, call 417-889-7233 to request your appointment. 417-889-7233. You could also request your complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll take a break, guys. When we come back, we're going to be talking about transitioning from accumulation to income in uncertain times and more when our show continues right here on 104. 4.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Randy and Jake, and this is Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about transitioning from accumulation to income. And that's what retirees do. And it's something, Jeff, they've never done before. Yeah, you're going to take them down this uh, path that they haven't walked before. You know, a lot of our listeners may be wondering, Randy and Jake, what to do if they're retiring into a recession. Do you have an answer for our listeners as to how they may quell some of these fears? You know, Jeff, that answer is going to be a little bit different for everybody. And a lot of that's going to depend on how much money you have saved versus how much money you need to take out. But retiring into recession is totally possible. The big thing is we have to have some protections put in place. As we start to withdraw money, um, and we've talked a lot about on the show withdrawing money, and that the conventional wisdom, quote unquote, is you know that you can take three to four percent off your investments and not risk running out of money. We believe that we can stretch that number to five percent as long as we have some protections in place. But let's do a little bit of basic math. Let's say that we have a down market. And let's say that this person retires with a million dollars and they need to take, just to make the math easy, and they need to take a 5% withdrawal, which is $50,000 a year. So we start there at a million and then $50,000 in income. But what happens if the market goes down and, and all we have is stocks and the market goes down 50%? Where I was withdrawing 5%, now my million is only worth 500000 So now how much must I withdraw? 50,000 of into 500,000 is 10%, not 5%. And even 6% is really too much. So if we get into a situation where the downturn causes us to invade our principal in a meaningful way, that's where everybody gets in trouble. So how do we guard against that? Uh, we guard against that by having a plan and having some protections in place. How much protection, what type of plan, that all really varies based on your current age. You know, are you 62 where you can leverage Social Security? Are you 55? Are you 70? There, there's a lot of factors that come into play. But that's the primary thing that we do here at Floyd Financial Group is to put these plans together to where we can answer that question individually for each person. Jake, even if you could withdraw 10% out of your uh, income and not run out of money, should you do that or should you draw less to make up for the times when maybe you can't draw as much? 
So again, this is where it comes back to the individuality thing of each person. So some people can afford to live on a little bit less during times of turmoil. And I will tell you that that will pay dividends big time long term. But what we like to do is set up plans where people don't have to take less in times of turmoil. And if you want to do that, great. If you don't want to do that, we set the plan up to where you do not have to do that. Yeah, I think also, Jeff, one thing that we should point out is we're seeing more and more as people come in to retire now, they're really sometimes wanting to take more income early in retirement, knowing that's where they're gonna, when they're going to feel their best, look their best, have their best beach body at age 70. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, <laughs> but that's when they're going to feel their best and do their best. And so they want to have you know more money on the front end. And we can also build that into the equation. The biggest thing that we have to factor in is number one, like Jake said, how much money have you saved? What's the taxability of that money? Is it all pre-tax money? Do we have some Roth money? Do we have money in a brokerage account where maybe we have capital gains that we might have to pay rather than than ordinary income tax? You know, do we have tax-free bonds and that sort of thing uh, involved there? Not that I recommend those right now. That's what we see out there. We look at all these different things to see what's taxable. What's my actual cash flow going to be? Many times what we see, it's interesting, as people come in and they're getting ready to retire, they're looking at, boy, how much their salary is at work versus what their retirement income may look like when they actually pull the trigger on retirement. The interesting thing about that is many times they're funding 5, 10, 15% of their salary Mm -hmm. into a 401k or some retirement vehicle now. And also they're paying for, you know, health insurance. They're paying Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid taxes on all that money that they're earning. And so the net check that they receive many times looks much different than what it would appear. Like if I say, you know, I'm making $120,000 a year, but I'm funding 15% to a 401k, and then I'm sitting here and I'm paying that 7.65% to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. All those things add up, and so what we really want to do many times is look at, hey, what's your net pay stub today versus what it's going to be in retirement? Because I'll tell you more and more, Jeff, people are not looking to settle for 67 of their working income in retirement, they want it to be the same because they want to go and have some fun. And you know what? I don't blame them. Yeah, neither do I either. We're talking with Randy and Jake here about transitioning from accumulation to income in uncertain times. You talked about that paycheck stub there, uh, Randy, and traditionally people get raises when they're working. Do you build in raises? For example, if in the beginning of retirement you're taking out 4%, I mean, do you make it 4.5% up to 5%? You just keep taking the amount that you take from your retirement accounts. Do you make that grow? Assuming people have taken the appropriate approach to get ready for retirement, and they have enough money, we like to build in an inflation fighter of around 25 to 3%. So basically, their total income will rise by that amount each year. So if they start out at 100000 the next year they'll have 1025 or 103000 There are some people that haven't saved enough to account for that, but usually people are going to spend the most in retirement right after they retire, right? If you're 65 and you retire, you know, you're going to go do all the things that you've always wanted to do. But then after you've done those things, you're going to realize that the rest of the world is crazy and you want to come back to the last bastion of sanity. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, you tend to not spend as much money. 
And, you know, obviously when you get to 85 or 90 years old, you're not, you're really not spending as much money, right? Because you can't get out and do things that you used to be able to do. So it kind of is a little bit self-policing, but we do like to build in an inflation fighter for people. Some people are like, well, 3% is not even going to come close to cutting it. You know, this year is going to be 8%. Right. Well, that's true, but long-term inflation will come back down. In fact, I believe that we will have some deflation over the next little bit. And then, you know, long-term two to two and a half percent will probably cover the inflation. You talked about what I call front-loading income, where you expect to take more in the beginning versus later. I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that your income distribution is more of a U-shaped type of graph thing. We're going to be taking a lot in the beginning that it's going to kind of go down. But then at the end, does it go back up because of healthcare expenses? As you said, you know, when you're 85, 90 years of age, you don't spend as much, but then you've got healthcare expenses. Do the health care expenses later on in life like that really put that much of a dent in your wallet considering that you have, you know, Medicare, that sort of thing? Yeah. So those types of medical expenses are very minimal. I mean, especially if you're, if you got Medicare Part B and a supplement and a drug card, you know, your out-of-pocket expenses almost zero after Mm -hmm. that. But yes, when you, when we start talking about assisted living, or nursing home or that type of thing, those numbers can add up very quickly. That's one of the reasons we have an arm here of our business that does planning for long-term care costs. And if that's something you'd like to talk about, we have a couple ladies in the building dedicated to only that purpose. And so that can be very scary. Some people spend a lot on that, but some people don't spend anything on that too. So, But I would say as a rule, Jeff, you're right. We spend more up front and then there's a period where we don't spend as much. And then toward the, the last five years of life, a lot of times, you know, there's a roughly a 65-ish percent chance that you're going to need some type of long-term care before you're gone. And so obviously that has a cost to it. I will I will throw in one other thing too, Jeff. As timing would have it, and we're talking about this, last week I had my annual physical exam and we had blood work done and all that sort of thing. And I go in to see the doc. Mm-hmm. Now I had never seen this doc actually in person. I've always had a physician's assistant or somebody that I've gone in to see rather than actually seeing him. So I actually met him for the first time. And so he starts asking me a few questions and we're talking about a few odds and ends, you know, and so they're checking me out and he says, okay, let me see your ankles. Are your ankles swelling up? I said, well, no, not generally. I said, here, look at it. He says, okay. He says, see those ankles? He's talking to a student who's going to be a doctor that was in the room with us is who he's talking to here. Mm-hmm. And of course, on my annual exam, you know, they do that exam for us guys. And I told him, I said, you know, it's been 1975 since somebody did that. <laughs> well. <laughs> the, last, the last time. <laughs> so anyway, everything came out good. But I, but I think the thing to take away from this was this. During some of the questioning, he learned that I run, yeah. I swim, mm-hmm. I ride my bike. And he looked at this young man and he said, he said, so here is a guy that will probably continue to move and live for a very long time as opposed to some of the people that we see that are sedentary and yeah. they have all these health issues starting to come in. So I think the uh, one of the takeaways here is nobody knows what our future health is going to be. Only God knows what's coming down the road for each and every one of us. But we do know this, that the object in motion seems to continue mm-hmm. to be that way. And those that are not, you know, the worst happens there. So it was just interesting to me to hear him teaching his medical student on my behalf, and I felt pretty good about the fact that, hey, I'm getting out, I'm moving, and I'm yeah, going. It's the law and he of said, inertia. That's, 
That's the biggest. Yeah. yeah. He said that's the biggest thing we see is people that don't keep moving don't move, and then pretty soon they're no longer with us. And those that do also have fewer medical bills in the future because they spend less time in the system. So, uh, you know, you are the poster child, Randy. We talked about this before, about all the things that you do in the morning before we all wake up, and it is really showing in your health, and it's going to show in your longevity, and it's going to show in the quality of life that you have, too. You really are uh, someone that I think people should take an example from. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group, on our radio program. Show me the money. We're here for you every week here on KSGF Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock in the morning. If you would like a complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial review with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. And I think really the takeaway from uh, all of our shows is to have a plan that will withstand any kind of financial weather. Again, no cost and no obligation to sit down with Randy and Jake and ask your specific questions to put you on the right track to retirement. To get yours, 417-889. 7233-417-889-7233 office right here in Springfield. You can also go online and request it at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Randy and Jake, time for a break. When we come back, we'll talk about what we need to know about retiring in a recession and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about what to know about retiring into a recession. And Randy and Jake, you know, a lot of our listeners may be questioning if it's possible to retire comfortably in a recession. Factors like market volatility, inflation, the overall uncertainty of how bad and how long a recession might last could be weighing you down. But retiring into a recession is actually possible. It's just a matter of knowing how to do it, what your current financial situation is and what goals you want to achieve. You know, it's quite a relief to hear that it's possible, Randy, Jake, to retire in these uncertain times. But what are some of the basic strategies and factors that you want our listeners to know about so we can do it successfully? So, you know, Jeff, depending on whether you're just about to retire, you're in the middle of it, or you're on the tail end of your retirement, I think all of these things have to be factored in. And one of the things that uh, we need to talk about is just the different economic times that we have seen, even in the last couple of years. So, in fact, let's go back a little further. Let's talk about the last, like, 12 to 13 years. So we had 2007, 8, and 9 came along at the maximum. It was uh, the S&P 500 was down about 53% for a little while, and then we rallied back after we printed a bunch of money and put it into the system, kind of like we did this last time with COVID. We saw the market rally about 425%. And then we saw COVID come along, boom, down 34 more injection of cash and easy money into the system and boom new highs 4878 points before we've had this next downturn you know rapid inflation rising interest rates compared to 1980 there's a whole lot of things that are similar so you know it's always something and so when we build plans and as we're going through our life and through retirement we need to make sure that we are not just trying to set it and forget it we've got to be revisiting this stuff and monitoring all the time i think also that that this little crash that we're probably about to have here is most closely resembling the 2000 era. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is, and a lot of people may not be aware of this, but during the run-up into 2000, especially 1999 and the very early part of 2000, there was a record number of IPOs. IPOs, as we said earlier, are initial public offerings. That's where somebody offers their stock on their company on Wall Street for the first time. 
And a lot of these IPOs, and again, I have to go back and look at the exact number. This is a, so be kind to me here if you go look at the number, but I want to say it's in the in the neighborhood of 520 IPOs leading up to that period uh, in a matter of about 12 months. And most of those IPOs were very nebulous companies. Some of those IPOs had companies that had empty office buildings. There was no business there and people were running the stocks up anyway. That really resembles closely what happened with SPACs last year. So for those who don't know what a SPAC is, a SPAC is, it stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And basically what it is, is a celebrity hedge fund manager goes out and says, hey, I want to raise a billion dollars of capital and I have no business right now. And what I want you to do is trust me with that billion dollars and I'm going to go find something to buy. Therefore, taking it public Mm -hmm. through a reverse merger IPO. So all that's just fancy way to say, hey, give me a blank check for a billion dollars. I'll go find something to buy and we'll all get rich. Trust me. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Trust me. And so this year, I think the average SPAC is down 77%. Wow. So most of those blew up in everybody's face. There was a lot of those companies that went public at 10 to 15 times what they were actually worth. There's some of these companies we're starting to realize were total frauds. There's already been several bankruptcies uh, in less than 12 months. And so I think that most closely resembles what we're what we're going through now is the 2000 period. And, you know, if we if we look at history, it may not be comfortable to look at this, but from 2000 to 2002, the Nasdaq went down 79 percent. So the Nasdaq, to put that in perspective, you know, a couple of weeks ago at the low was down about 34 percent. So we're about halfway there, maybe, or maybe not even quite halfway there yet. And so I think a lot of people are thinking this is almost over. And I would say we need to be careful with that type of thinking. We need to let the market dictate where it wants to go, not us have preconceived notions of where we think it ought to go. That way, we're not standing in front of the freight train when this happens. And and I think that there's still a lot of room for multiple compression, meaning... If even if the company's earnings don't change, their valuation can still come down. But I do think, again, this time next week, we're going to start hearing from we're going to start hearing from these companies, banks, and then the following week, we're going to hear from all the tech companies, and we're going to hear their earnings. and And if those numbers are coming in light, and the forward expectation comes in light, the market is going to sell off big. And then the following week, we get the second quarter GDP numbers, which again, could come in negative. So there's, there's a lot of potential for havoc here in the next three weeks. And again, I think it's important to try to not project what you want or what you think is going to happen to the market, but let it speak for itself and let it run its course. If we let it run its course, there will be huge opportunity on the other side. So the NASDAQ went down to like, I think it's about 1,100 points or something from 5,000 last time. So it went from 5,100 on the NASDAQ to like 1,100. Well, the NASDAQ was 13,000 and some change, you know, a couple of months ago. And so that's massive growth. I think that's the kind of growth, maybe not quite to that magnitude, but we could definitely see, you know, like I said earlier, two to three, 400% growth after this thing corrects, 
We just need to be patient. We need to have patience. P-A-Y, patience. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> patience, patience is a virtue. Pace. Yeah, I've heard that before. Absolutely. We're talking with Randy and Jake here about what to know about retiring into recession. Is it important, gentlemen, to consider that past recessions have not lasted forever and ever, and this recession that we're in or that we're going to be in probably isn't going to last forever as well, too. How much different is it retiring during a recession if the recession doesn't last more than six months or so? So really, Jeff, when you take the emotion out, like, you know, Jake talked about, and you really look at it, I mean, a six months, a 12 month, an 18 month period, if you build your portfolio right, is not going to have an irreversible effect on your retirement plan. I think that it's important as we talk about this stuff, and, and you know, we've, we've had some negative commentary here today. And it's not that we're trying to be negative, and it's not that we're trying to be scary. We're not trying, you know, remember scary money stuff. I'll never oh, yeah. forget that woman that said that to me about a decade ago in my office. We are optimistic about the other side of this, and we will get to the other side of it. But here's the thing. You've got to be sure that you are meeting this economy and meeting this market in a fashion that's going to allow you to survive it. Don't just put the blinders on, go out and buy, you know, Bitcoin because it could make you a billionaire or whatever. In fact, please don't go buy Bitcoin. <laughs> but anyway, not right now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I guess what I'm saying is, is we need to make sure that we are setting ourselves up to be able to win on the other side of this. And there will be several levels of winners on the other side of this. Now, a couple things we should also throw out here since we're talking about this. If you are 50 years old and younger and you're listening to this and you've been funding your 401k for the last 20, 25, 30 years, don't change anything. Continue to fund what you're doing there. Now, I will say this. I don't know how you're invested inside that 401k. If it's something you'd like to talk with us about that, how you're invested in what we might recommend, we can certainly have that conversation and would invite people to call. But if you're 50 and less, you need to be you know, invested out there and invested pretty much in the broad market. There are some things right now that are happening with rising interest rates. I would try to avoid bonds and that sort of thing as a general rule. But again, everybody's situation is a little different. I don't want to give blanket advice because that never, ever works for anyone. Right. But uh, again, I would encourage people if they'd like to talk about it to give us a call. But it's very important that during these recessionary times that you have somebody really at the helm of your portfolio that can sit down and have a conversation with you and say, okay, so if we do this, here's the risk. If we do this, here's the potential reward in 12 to 18 months. If we don't do anything, here's probably what's going to happen. And then, you know, we we don't want to tell people what to do. We want to help guide people and have a, a really good working conversation that makes people feel connected to their money, helps educate them. Because, you know, it's kind of like when I was growing up, Jeff, I remember my dad would say, don't do that. And I'd say, why? He said, because I said so. Well, that's, yeah, right. that's, that's, that's not a good answer when it comes to your financial future. <laughs> I've heard that more than once. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group, about retiring during a recession. I think the important thing to consider, gentlemen, is Randy, in, in all the years that you've been doing this, you have retired a lot of people during a recession. Has there ever been a circumstance where it just didn't work out at all? No, we've never, ever had one of those scenarios, Jeff. And 
I'm thankful for that. But no, we have not. And, you know, do we lose clients from time to time? You know, honestly, we don't lose very many, but we do lose one once in a while. And that's okay. Nobody's perfect and you can't please all the people all the time, right? right? It's usually because we're not willing to take enough risk to make them happy. So a lot of people are like, well, why do people leave? If people leave, it's because I refuse to swing for the fences with their retirement money. Mm-hmm. And you can take that or leave it. You know, if you're, if you're looking for us to come in and take enough risk where your average return is going to be 12% or something, you know, it's probably not the right fit because I will not risk your well-being to make those types of returns. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. But you got to be ready to ride the white knuckle ride down 50 and 60%. And I'm simply not willing to take that kind of risk with client money. Yeah. And when you consider, as you said, swinging for the fences, home run hitters hit a lot of home runs, but they also strike out a lot as well, too. But uh, so I I understand where you don't want to take that sort of risk with someone being able to live or have food on the table, a roof over their head for the next 30, 35 years. When you talk about retiring during a recession, is there really any one golden ticket to weathering a recession or is it a combination of things? No, it's always a combination of things. There is no one right investment tool. There is no one right retirement tool or income stream setup. And it's something, Jeff, that as markets change and interest rates change and climates, you know, change for business, it's going to always be a little bit different. And, you know, there's certainly a baseline of safety that we need. And then beyond that, there's a lot of investments and things that will change as times change. The one thing I would throw out, too, also about the uh, baseball thing and swinging for the fences is, uh, you know, Babe Ruth got a lot of at-bats. Right. In retirement, you get one at-bat. Right. That's exactly right. That's a a good way to put it, too. We're talking with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group about weathering a recession in retirement. You know, our listeners, Randy and Jake, are going to be facing a difficult combination of factors when it comes to their retirement today. And I'm talking about a volatile market, higher inflation, longer lifespans. The question is, what do we do about it? Well, I can give you the answer right here. It's called Floyd Financial Group and get in and sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your particular individual situation. As Randy says, there is not one size that fits all. There are individual plans tailored just for you. It's not going to cost you anything, no cost, no obligation to get your review. To get yours, 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. No time like the present. You can also request your financial review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this, here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money, and Jake and I are having a good time today with you, as we always do. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about achieving financial stability across your portfolio. And gentlemen, we have talked a lot about certain strategies out there that retirees can use to protect against uncertain times, but how does it all come together? It's one thing to know about the options that you have out there and how they work, but it's another to actually use them in your portfolio. The bucket strategy is another strategy that you may not have heard of before. So let's talk about that a little bit in this particular part of the show here about having a flexible portfolio strategy and using the bucket strategy. That sounds like a great way for retirees to protect their finances, but how How does it work, the bucket strategy? So the bucket strategy really aims to take the tools out of our toolbox and use the ones that are most appropriate for that time in our life. And so 
there are a lot of people that, uh, especially conservative people that listen to the show, frankly, <laughs> and this radio station right. that have a hard time switching from growing their money to spending their money. And, you know, they're like, I have spent 40 years growing this money, you know, and you're telling me you want me to start spending it now. Well, if you're going to retire at some point, you're going to have to start spending that money. And so what the bucket strategy kind of aims to do is to fulfill all the needs of the portfolio because there's no one investment or no one tool that can do everything. You use different buckets to make sure you accomplish all the things that you need to accomplish. So some of that's growth, some of that's income, some of that's safety. And as we look at the distribution of money, we need to make sure we're using the right tools for the job. The toolbox for us here at Floyd Financial Group is pretty vast. We can use almost any financial instrument out there. But because of the actions of the Fed, the toolbox is a little bit more limited right now because there's a lot of investments that simply don't pay any interest or do not have a very attractive risk versus reward outlook. And so it's important to stay on top of these different tools because they change all the time. You know, if you're using the same strategy in every market all the time, that is just a suboptimal way to go about things. I mean, Meaning, you know, it could be better. We want to use whatever tools are the most attractive at the time. And part of that is not being too locked into anything so that you can't change it. We like the ability to be able to change things, be able to adjust income streams if somebody needs a little more income, a little less income. We don't like to set things in stone, which really helps us to be able to utilize the bucket strategy in a way where we can really get the most out of it. So when you talk about the bucket strategy, you were talking about the growth bucket, the income bucket, and then the spending bucket. Now, are these buckets all the same size? Or, you you know, I think you said you can expand them, you can contract them. I mean, the buckets get bigger bigger and smaller, don't they, as you go along in retirement? They do. And and again, everybody has a little bit different needs. You know, there's there's people that have those few lucky people out there that have good pensions, right? So sometimes we have people that have a 401k and a pension. And really between social security and pension, they really have what they need income wise. So that person obviously doesn't need a bucket for their 401k to get mm-hmm. a bunch more income out just that they're going to pay taxes for no reason. But most people need to have a certain amount of income. And so based on that, we have to, again, each plan is different. I know we say that and it sounds kind of cliche, but it is true. Every plan, every plan is really different. We use a lot of the same tools for people, but how much of each tool we use when we take money out out, how we take money out, which different bucket. Again, a lot of people will have their 401k, but they'll also have some non-qualified money or or after-tax money like in the bank. And so depending on how we take that income out of there affects what tax bracket these people are in. So there's, there's a lot of different strategies. And so it's hard to blanketly say, hey, here's how much we need in the income bucket and the, and the spending bucket. It's more about each person and, and finding the, the most optimal way to, to take those incomes. And, you know, one thing I should point out here, where we're talking about achieving financial stability, that doesn't mean that your balance is going to be flat, and that doesn't mean your balance is always going to be going up, you know, because that would be nice. But the bottom line is that we're always going to have some market volatility. And so the biggest thing we have to protect against is too much volatility to the downside. You know, we've talked about Mr. Green and Mr. Brown on here many Mm -hmm. times, right? Uh, Mr. Green had the luck of the draw when he retired, and Mr. Brown did not. So right now, we're at a Mr. Brown scenario, right? So we're all 
almost every asset class has a negative side to it. Now, there's a few that do not. If we were just to look back over it here, just since the first of the year, if we look at the bond market, which was the 40% of the retirement portfolio that we used for many, many years from 1980 through 2020, the 60-40 portfolio, which was the 60% equity, 40% bond portfolio worked really well and bonds made great money. Since the first of the year, if you own investment grade bonds, the one we look at to really kind of get a barometer sometimes is uh, one from Vanguard called BND. It is down almost 10% year to date. So that's not very stable. But if you look at the overall market, the S&P 500 is down around 20%. The NASDAQ is down around probably 27, 8%, something like that. But oil and gas made 33.8 over the same time frame. So when we look at this, this is what we talk about, how we cannot just set it and forget it. Somebody's got to be monitoring this and watching what's going on and helping guide people to avoid loss, to find gain. And again, here we are, stabilize your portfolio. We're talking about the bucket strategy here with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group and achieving financial stability across your portfolio. You talked about those buckets being growth, income, and spending, and the buckets are not an equal size. Do you have people who come in and they want some really big growth buckets, some really big income buckets, but they want a little tiny thimble for a spending bucket? In other words, are there people who just can't bring themselves to spend money in retirement, and how do you get them to do that? Yeah, so that is the case, Jeff. In many cases, there's a lot of people that, that just don't want to spend. They've been in the saving mode for so long, they just can't really see anything else. And listen, I'm not going to say that's a negative or a bad thing. All I'm going to say is is that sometimes we want them to kind of cut loose and have a little bit of fun with yeah. all the savings that they've done over their lifetime. Sometimes we also get this. People say, well, once I retire, I want to make sure I'm still saving money. And so what they want us to do is pay them out their money from their retirement accounts so that they can put it in a savings account or something like that. Now, we always want people to have cash when they come in. We want them to have a cash reserve in the bank. Personally, I like for people to have six months out there. That way, no matter what little financial storm comes along, we can probably weather that. But inside their portfolio, also, sometimes it's appropriate to have quite a bit of cash. As a lot of our people listening on here on the show today know, we have a lot of cash in the portfolios right now because we think that markets are going to go on down and we don't want to lose any additional money to the downside of this market. And when the road signs change and we kind of get the all clear, if you will, and things start to tick up the other side, we're going to have money, dry powder, if you will, to go back to work, put that money to work, uh, buy in low with money we did not lose on the way down. So, you know, portfolios are always changing and you just need someone that's going to always have their hand on the tiller to help you uh, figure out what's next. You talked about switching from uh, saving, that is the accumulation phase, to the distribution phase. Is it important or should you really worry at all about saving anything in retirement? You've saved for 40, 50 years. Now it's time to spend it all. Or do you recommend that people still save a portion of their retirement income? So what I would say is, you know, if you want to save money, that's great. Just don't pay it out to yourself and save the taxes as well. In most cases, because probably 75 cents of every dollar that's invested today across the markets is qualified money or IRA or 401k money that's all pre-tax money. So yeah, I mean, I, I like for people to spend their money the way they want to. However, it just doesn't make sense to pay the taxes and take the money out of the portfolio when it may have lots of positive growth coming here, especially in the next 18 months or so, as well as the taxes coming out. 
Yeah, and that's a very important thing to consider, too, taxes. I mean, uh, people tend to neglect that sometimes, but the tax man is always there taking his toll when, you know, money transfers from the left pocket to the right pocket. How important is it to determine someone's risk tolerance when you determine the size of these buckets? Well, it's always 100% important. In fact, we always look at these things. We always have people do a risk assessment, and ours is a little different than some of the risk assessment tools that they have seen out there. And really what we're looking for is how much downside risk are they willing to take and also how much downside risk is appropriate for them to take based on what their budget requirements are, the size of their nest egg, their tax bracket, all those things all come together to make the overall plan work and work effectively for the next 30, 35 years of people's retirement life. Well, the bucket strategy could be a good option, but it has a lot of moving parts and it's a lot easier said than done. And that's why you want to get professional financial advice when you're employing a strategy like the bucket strategy, because it works best when it's designed around your personal financial situation and your goals. If you'd like to talk about your goals, your personal financial situation, you want to talk about whether the bucket strategy is a good strategy for you. Once again, Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group are offering a no cost, no obligation financial review. That's right. Isn't going to cost you a dime. Sit down with Randy and Jake and ask your specific individual questions. And it's important to note here too, that there is no judgment at Floyd Financial Group. As Randy has said many times, he and Jake put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we all do. They're not going to sit and judge you. They're going to meet you where you are. Once again, to get your financial review, call 417-889-7233. It's 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary financial review online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. We've had the first half of the year now gone by. Get yourself set for the second half in a very good manner by getting your financial review today. Well, Randy and Jake, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you so much for your time. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.